I'm Dr. Brian Goldman, host of the CBC podcast, The Dose. Each week, we answer vital health questions that will help you thrive, like, what does my mental health have to do with my gut? How can I prevent melanoma? How much sleep do I really need? And how can I manage my health without a family doctor? I chat with the top experts to bring you the latest evidence in plain language, all in about 20 minutes. Find The Dose on the CBC Listen app or wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. A survey conducted by the Angus Reid Institute found nationwide more than half of Canadians would prefer an end to tipping and a higher base wage for service workers instead. Hi, I'm Ian Hennemansing in Vancouver. Welcome to Cross Country Checkup, the podcast. What they're noticing and feeling against the backdrop of a well-documented cost of living crisis, the tipping aspect of it is really just pushing some people over the tipping point. Our question, are your tips keeping up with inflation? Which jobs deserve tips and which ones don't? As a retail worker, I could spend a full hour with someone helping them find just the perfect pillow, but I didn't get 10% of that purchase price as a tip. I go to the same lunch place almost every day, and it's more of a fast food place. And uh, what kind of gets me is that they're asking you to tip in advance of you receiving the service. And I'm like, I don't know what to tip. I don't even know if I'm going to like the sandwich. The, the tip creep that's happening everywhere, you start to become a little bit more reluctant, and it's actually making it even more disinclined to want to tip now. I went to a store the other day, and when I paid with a credit card, there was an option to leave a tip. Now, keep in mind, this is a self-service store. It's relatively small. You get what you want on the shelf, take it to the checkout. And I have to admit, I don't really know what a tip there would be based on. If it's an attempt to top up the salary of the workers, do we really want to rely on the random decisions by customers? Would we all be better off if the store paid a wage that doesn't require a top-up, even if the prices need to be a bit higher? Our question, are your tips keeping up with inflation? Which jobs deserve tips and which ones don't? In the last 45 minutes, we switch to etiquette in the air. A lot of people are flying this time of year. What behavior by your fellow passengers drives you mad? We have two experts who will weigh in on the written and unwritten rules of the sky. I'm Ian Hanamansing in Vancouver. From CBC Radio, this is Checkup, the podcast. Cross-country checkups live broadcast from December 17th, 2023. Calls were already rolling in, as I would have expected, on this topic. But before we get to those, I want to talk to someone who relies on tips. Adil Sabir is a full-time Uber driver, and he's worked with Uber for eight and a half years. We've reached him in Toronto. Hi, Adil. Hi, how are you? I'm doing really well. Now, I'm sure this varies from customer to customer, but uh, give us an idea how much passengers tip you. Um, but honestly, I would say tips have gone down gradually. Um, uh, I'm only noticing, let's just say out of my day, uh, one or two passenger, uh, would end up, uh, tipping me. And that's out of like, let's just say 20 or 25 rides that I do throughout my day. Wow. Okay. That's really interesting. We'll get back to that in, in a sec. If, uh, if a passenger were to ask you what you consider to be a fair tip, what would you say to them? Um, I think a fair a fair tip basically goes on the amount uh, amount they're spending. Um, uh, if somebody is spending ten ten dollars on a ride, I, I don't expect them to, to tip me five bucks. Even a dollar in change makes a difference. 
And what if, what about another option? And I think this is what Uber was hoping to do at the beginning, where they just set the rates at a level that's fair to you and fair to the customer. And so the customer doesn't even have to think about a tip unless you do something extraordinary, uh, but you're getting paid, you know, to, to cover your expenses and your time. Would you prefer a model like that? Yeah, for sure. Obviously, uh, I know uh, for when it comes to tipping, there are a lot of customers that have like standard tipping percentage set on each ride. So they would just tip 10%, 15%, 20%, whatever they prefer. Uh, but that has changed over the past couple of months due to inflation and pricing. People are starting to tip less and less over time. Yeah, so let's talk a little bit more about that because I find it really interesting. So you were you were saying that uh, what two or three rides a day out of and I forget the exact number, maybe twenty five well, or thirty. It it all depends on what, what kind of work uh, I'm doing and what kind of work there's available. But let's just say on average, um, on the in ten hours of my drive time, I do twenty five rides. Um, if um, there were ten people that are tipping me before, that's gone down to two or three. Uh, uh, riders that are tipping in, um, but I can't equate for uh, the the percentage on the amount. Like I mean, if somebody going to Hamilton from Toronto, he's probably going to tip me thirty bucks. But if somebody goes like a down a block, maybe he won't even tip me a dollar. Mm-hmm. And so this change, though, in terms of far fewer people tipping you, um, is it been has that change happened over the last year, two years? What would the time frame be? Um, I've noticed uh, noticed the change mostly in the past six months. So I would say just past June, the gradual change has come in, uh, taken taken an impact. Yeah, we're here live with Adil Sabir, a full time Uber driver, and our question today on the program are your tips keeping up with inflation? Which jobs deserve tips and which ones don't? Our number is one eight 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 four one six eight three three three. If you'd like to be part of our program, or you can go to cbc.ca slash aircheck. Adil, you deliver food as well. And I want to ask you about something that I'd never heard of till we started doing the research on this show, tip baiting. And so we've heard from some food deliverers who say somebody before the delivery happens will say, this is the the tip we're going to pay. That's obviously, you know, interesting to the deliverer. But then when it comes time to actually complete the transaction, they withdraw that tip. Have you run into that at all? Um, it, it happened to me uh, when I was doing um, Instacart mostly, and there was like this gentleman you know, who tipped, uh, I think, $200 during pandemic time, and uh, he later on changed that tip to like $20, dollars $30. It was almost two years ago, so I can't even remember the exact but it was a, a gradual change, and I still remember the story in mind. Yeah, well, absolutely. Well, it just sounds like, uh, you know, it just sounds unfair, right? If he's uh, dangling that amount and you think to yourself, wow, this is going to be a great payday. Let's finish with this. I I know just looking at some of the reaction I've had to my social media posts about tipping, some people feel it's just gone too far right now in Canada. But for you, as someone who relies on tips to kind of help meet expenses, what would you say to people who who feel like there's just too much tipping out there and they just want to step back from all of that? Well, uh, we, we we rely on tips. Um, my wear and tear maintenance and my expense on day-to-day basis are covered in tips. Um, it would be unfair to say that they're obliged to tip, 
but it would be unfair to say that the companies are taking taking uh, any step towards it. Um, so me working for companies like Uber, DoorDash, or Instacart, any of these great companies, um, I rely on tips to keep my um, overhead low. And uh, on food delivery, what should somebody tip you? Um, it it's it's totally a number uh, on how much uh, f- how much they've ordered. If somebody is sp- spending like fifty dollars an order, I think a five dollars would be a fair amount. Yeah. All right. A deal. Thank you very much. Nice to hear about this story from your perspective. Yep. Thank you for your time. Adil Severe is an Uber driver in Toronto and also as part of that delivers food as well. And on the program today, we are talking about tips. Are they keeping up with inflation? Which jobs deserve tips and which ones don't? And you can call us at 1-888-416-8333. But before we get to calls, I want to bring in another guest. Bruce McAdams has been studying tipping for over a decade, watching as Canadian practices change. He's an associate professor in the School of Hospitality, Food and Tourism Management at the University of Guelph. And he'll be with us throughout the, the show to weigh in on your calls and offer his academic and expert insights. And we've reached him in Guelph, Ontario. Hi, Bruce. Hi, Ian. So first of all, we just heard from the Uber driver, Adil Sabir, that his tips have gone down considerably. The number of people who are tipping him has, uh, has dwindled to two or three a day. Uh, does that reflect larger trends you're seeing? Yeah, I think anecdotally and speaking to operators and servers and, and people uh, like your last guest, they are seeing a little bit of a decline in tips. But this is also after um, experiencing tipflation and, and what we've experienced with this whole idea of tipping fatigue, which I think you've been sort of leading towards this combination of having to tip in more places or being expected to that are non-traditional, and then also being asked to tip um, more than we would be traditionally. And this is, you know, in a full service restaurant, this might be the um, digital payment method that starts at 15% and, and then has a 20% option in 25. So so this has led to fatigue. And I, I think there is this a bit of backlash from consumers. And, and there's also two other things, Ian, that are, are leading towards this tip fatigue. And that is the realization now that consumers understand that Tipping is is really no longer um, a reward for good service. It's it's a wage subsidy, as as I think you mentioned in your introduction, and that there are also trust and transparency issues popping up now with this tip creep and and tipping coming into non traditional places. Um, you know who's getting the tip. Are the managers keeping it? Um, I went to a, a sandwich place and there was a tip jar and there was also a tip prompt. And I asked the counter person, they said, oh, we get the tips in the jar and the the uh, owner gets the tips um, from the payment machine. So th- this, is, this is fatiguing consumers. And this is why I think tipping is maybe coming to a crossroads. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so we're going to have a chance to, to hear from many callers and talk to you about a lot of these things. I, the, the, you know, among the other issues, Bruce, is, is guilt. I've heard from so many customers, friends of mine, who say when they don't tip, well, first of all, they, they feel like zero is not an option for them, that it just is an emphatic statement of like, you know, I, I don't care to give you a tip. But then when they, you know, if they give 10% of the counter instead of 15 or 20, as the machine is suggesting, uh, they feel uh, discomfort. Anyway, we're going to talk about a lot of stuff. I, I want to play a clip for you, uh, Bruce. This is from Moneris, the financial services company that supplies businesses with credit card machines. We spoke to their VP of product, Marta Rizoska, about how those tipping options 
transactions are programmed into the credit card machines? We don't auto-enable tipping, so it's completely up to the business. So specific amounts might be defaulted on the screen, 10, 15, 20%. We give the business owner the flexibility to set what those are. Now, we will always make sure that there is a no-tip option that the business owner cannot turn off. Obviously, tipping isn't something that applies to every single business type. Bruce, what should business owners consider as they decide to or decide not to put that uh, tip prompt on the credit card machine? Yeah, and and you know, Moneris, from what I understand, is speaking operators. They come in and set it up, and then they also uh, enable you to change uh, the percentages. So, um, I, I think where where Ian, where we have to be careful, where operators have to be careful, is um, and and I I've actually seen this is is this fatigue that's creeping in, and and I've noticed and and heard from operators that they have come down and adjusted um, some of them a little bit of their. Uh, percentages where they had moved up to 20, 25, 30 in some cases, and they've sort of come back to, you know, 15, 20, 25, 10, 15, or 20. I think the other thing that operators really have to be aware of is the the pre and post service tip, which is really starting to become an issue. DoorDash recently, um, you know, asking people or, or putting a prompt on when you're not tipping that your food may be slower if if uh, if you don't reconsider tipping. And, and this whole idea of pre-tipping and, and the numbers, there's research out there now showing that this will lead to less retention, uh, sorry, intention to return, uh, lower scores on uh, reviews, and also less word of mouth advertising. So tipping is becoming uh, an issue that operators have to be really careful of and think about. Yeah, and let's back up for a second. That DoorDash story, in case people forget, it was back in October, and DoorDash delivers food, warn customers that if they don't tip ahead, uh, their delivery may take longer. So let me just say, Bruce, from my perspective, that is no longer a tip. That's a surcharge for expedited delivery, and, and it shouldn't even be called a tip. Absolutely. And Ian, you know, all the things that we've been talking about in the first 10 minutes of this program are are confusing, are adding complexity to a transaction that should be, I'm just buying food. I really just want to have food. I want to have it delivered. I want to have an Uber. I want to go here. I want to go to a restaurant. And now we're having as consumers to consider all these different things, try to, you know, uh, operators have to try to educate consumers on why they're doing this, et cetera, et cetera. And again, this just is continuing to add to this uh, this fatigue. All right, stand by, Bruce. We'll come back to you. Bruce McAdam is an associate professor in the School of Hospitality, Food and Tourism Management at the University of Guelph. In the next hour, we will have an Ask Me Anything on airplane etiquette. Have you seen bad behavior at the airport or on board, stuff that crosses the line for you? We're looking forward to hearing your stories in hour two. And we have a couple of experts, a former flight attendant, in fact, a current flight attendant, and an etiquette expert who will uh, comment on your calls and also answer any questions you have. But for the first hour and 15 minutes of the program, we are looking at tips. Are they keeping up with inflation? Which jobs deserve tips? Which ones don't? Our phone number on cross-country checkup, as always, 1-888-416-8333. You can also text us your comments. Here's the text number, 226-758-8924. 
some people already responding online. Gerald Brown via Aircheck from Saskatchewan says, instead of tipping for some jobs and not others, all jobs should be paid a much better wage. While this is unlikely for the time being, tips shouldn't be added to the cost post-tax, but rather pre-tax if we are in fact going to tip. On X slash Twitter, uh, Jolie Vivero says, tipping is a tax. We're subsidizing businesses for their labor costs. It is disingenuous because the real purchase price is hidden from the consumer. Stop tipping and pay staff appropriately. Jennifer Sumner sent us a text. She's in Guelph, Ontario. Once a week, I hire a taxi from a well-known taxi company in Toronto. I used to pay Visa, including a tip. One day I asked the driver if he received the tips and he told me the taxi company takes part of the tip. So from then on, I've been paying a cash, in cash, including a cash tip or paying the exact amount by Visa, but putting the tip in cash. And Cheryl Johnson contacted us uh, via Twitter slash X. I had tweeted out that I went to a store yesterday and uh, there was a tip prompt uh, that I was dealing with. I mentioned this in the introduction. So Cheryl's responding to that tweet by saying, I bought a small, inexpensive bottle of champagne at a private liquor store the other day and was presented with the same screen. I chose the no tip option, but there was guilt. I'm Ian Hanamansing. We are live on CBC Radio and CBC News Network from CBC Vancouver. And let's go to the phones now. Greg Baytalon is in Kelowna, British Columbia. Hi, Greg. Hi, Ian. How are your tips going? Are they keeping up with inflation? Oh, I, I hope so. I hope I'm generous enough when I do on occasion go out, which mm-hmm. surprises me when I see places so busy at the cost of things these days. But yeah, I, I think it's gone right over the top, and I think uh, Australia and New Zealand have it figured out where they pay their workers a decent wage. And um, you know, I know a land developer that uh, has been developing properties for years, and he bought a cold beer and wine store. And he told me, had I have known how lucrative this business was, I would have never built another building, and I would have bought two cold beer and wine stores. And so when you you know, you walk into a store, you walk 20 feet to a cooler, grab a case of beer or whatever it is you're getting, walk up to the till and the prompt thing has you going at 15 or 20%. Well, wait a second here. What kind of service did I just get for this? Mm-hmm. And, and you know, I feel for the workers, but you're basically subsidizing an owner of a store who's not paying their workers very well. Yeah. So how do you respond when you see those tip prompts? What I do... I generally pay cash, or if I use my card, I make sure before I go in, I have a loony or something in my pocket, and I just throw it in the jar because I sort of feel like, you know, I sort of feel like a bum if I don't. And but I, but I really shouldn't, because I think this whole thing has gotten right out of control. I really yeah. do. Yeah, and you're touching on something that that I mentioned already on the program, and I think we're going to hear it echoed by other people, which is the, the guilt that that some people feel about not tipping, and so they tip, but they don't like the idea of doing it, and that's not a good place to put a customer, Greg. Well, totally. I, I think a tip, in my view, has to come from the heart, and it should be a gift. Mm-hmm. And yes, when you're getting service, you know, they're pouring your wine, they're at your table several times and they're making, uh, they make your night. That deserves a tip. I get that. But, but this, uh, I mean, I, when I was a kid, I pumped gas and washed windows and everything else. I think I remember once I got a 25 cent tip for a full around the vehicle 
service at the at the station and mm-hmm. but I didn't expect a tip it wasn't something that happened back then yeah. and it's similar to you walk into a McDonald's I you don't see it tipping isn't done at a at a mm-hmm. at a fast food restaurant it's just not expected yeah but the, the the envelope of the expectations now is just just exploded yeah Greg thank you very much for calling yes thank you appreciate it so tipping culture has changed, and Greg points out something else that's changed. If you're under the age of, I don't know, maybe 40, you may be surprised to hear there was a time when people at the gas station didn't only come out to pump your gas, but they cleaned your windshield as well. In fact, some people listening may be old enough to remember when a bell would go off. you drive over like a hose that would uh, ring a bell so the people inside the gas station would know to come out. Not that I remember that, but uh, some people will. I do totally remember that. Uh, let's go to uh, Midland, Ontario. John Gadet is calling us. Hi, John. Hello. How are you? Good, good. How do you feel about tipping culture in Canada these days? I think it's disgusting. <laughs> to be honest with you, like, oh, we're all coming. We never used to tip, you know. They give a decent wage. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, if the company can't afford to give the... the People working for them, if they can't afford to give them a decent wage, they should be out of business. Now, I don't restaurants, all of them. Yeah. Because I do, I do tip. But, uh, you know, it's what I, like the gentleman said just before you, mm-hmm. it's a gift. And it's a gift to the person that's serving you, not is, to anybody else. Is there any place, John, that you've been asked to to uh, give a tip, you know, the prompt, let's say, with the credit card, that either you felt, I don't understand why this place is even asking for one, or I don't I don't like the options they're giving me for the amount? Well, I'll tell you what, I haven't. But if I, if they'd done that to me before, I'd just t- turn around and walk right out. Mm-hmm. Because uh, I'm dead against it, you know. It's, like it's, I say, it's a gift. You yeah. know, it don't matter what anybody says. And like, I see Tim Hortons. They have a little jar there for mm-hmm. tips. Mm-hmm. I think it's bloody disgusting, you know. Pay the person a decent wage. Like it, it, it happened in the, in Midland here. Mm-hmm. My wife was into a restaurant, and I guess she must have known the person that was serving. Anyway, she tipped. Mm-hmm. But the person after they, because uh, they met again after, she, she, she turned around and said, you know, we don't get the tip. Hmm. The, the 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 owner gets it, keeps it, you know. Uh, hey, you know, and you got you don't know, you got no proof of it, eh? Yeah. You know, I'm, like I do tip, but I tip what I and what I can afford, yeah. not what they tell me. It's all gone right. all, like you said, it's gone all out of hand. Mm-hmm. And uh, <laughs> now this it's. It's uh, absolutely ridiculous. Okay. I, I'll tell you what I do. I yep. always pay cash. Yeah. If I go out, I know what's going to happen. I pay cash. And then I, so then I, to the waitress or waiter, he gets cash tip. And there's no, no record. They, they want to keep it in their pocket. It's good because it's for them. Mm-hmm. All right, John, thank you very much for calling us. Okay. Thanks a lot. Have a good day now. I'm Ian Hanamansing in Vancouver, and you're listening live to Cross Country Checkup. Our question, are your tips keeping up with inflation? Which jobs deserve tips? Which ones don't? And our phone number, of course, is uh, 1-888-416-8333. A lot of people calling in, as I would expect. And again, really looking forward also to hearing from people whose job 
relies on tips and uh, what are you seeing in terms of the amount that people are tipping? Uh, what expectations do you have from your customers and business owners? When you put those tip prompts on the credit card machine, what are you hoping for? Let's go to Wakefield, Quebec. Natasha Sabalotny is calling us. Hi, Natasha. I think your audio is kind of low. Let me see if that's something we can change on our end. Natasha, can you can you hear me? I had my phone upside down. That's okay. Why. All right. Well, that okay. I'm glad. <laughs> I'm glad that you fixed that. Um, the so N- Natasha, you work at an antique shop. How much should I tip you if I buy an antique? Absolutely nothing. But <laughs> if you want to barter with me, yes, uh, which quite commonly happens, uh, do not pay with a credit card because then I'm paying for it as well. You so, know? Like, so so you mean like haggling then, right? Like sort of trying to bring yeah. the price down. Okay. Yeah, no, what I don't think anyone has said, oh, is that $5? Let me give you 10 mm-hmm. uh, Everybody tries to knock me down. And, and it's hard because your rent is your rent and your hydro is your hydro. And mm-hmm. and uh, you can't negotiate that. So, so, the, so <laughs> this is interesting. This is an angle that I, I hadn't been expecting, which is one of the cool things about cross-country checkup is the directions things take. So what you're talking about is at your antique store, if somebody comes in and they want to haggle and bring the price down, um, they need to respect the fact that those prices are there for a reason and you've got expenses that you need to pay. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And I realized that, you know, handling a credit card is just the way of doing business. There's, mm-hmm. you know, it, it's a cost of doing business. Mm-hmm. So I am happy to accept credit cards. Uh, interact is easiest. Uh, and of course, I do I still accept cash. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but uh, it would be nice uh, if if you are going to haggle with an antique dealer to at least pay them with cash. <laughs> yeah, so Natasha, you're you're a, a, a vendor, you work at, a, at an antique shop, but you're also obviously a customer in many other places. How do you feel about tipping culture right now in Canada? Well, what what's kind of special about me is that I've worked for the Black Sheep Inn in Wakefield, and I mm-hmm. worked there for over 20 years as a server and a bartender. Oh, yeah. So... I am perhaps more generous than the average Canadian Mm -hmm. when I go out and enjoy a meal or a show. Uh, So, yeah, I I always tip if the service has been good to excellent. Um, It reflects in my tip, but I tip well. So give me an example of that then. You go to a restaurant, service is good. What would be a a tip that reflects that? So I believe that at least 20%, Mm -hmm. especially in Quebec, because Quebec charges you, they determine your tips based on your sales uh, Hmm. on your shift. Mm -hmm. So they automatically tax your tips. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I know it works differently in other provinces where mm -hmm. when you do your income tax return, uh, it looks at your annual salary and then taxes you on your tips based Mm -hmm. on a formula. But in Quebec, you're taxed on your sales. Yeah. So Natasha, one one last question for you. If you go to a, you know, get counter service. So it's not a restaurant where you're sitting down and getting served, but you're going up to the counter, you grab, let's say, a sandwich or somebody pours you a cup of coffee. Um, given all the things you've said to us about your approach, what do you feel is the appropriate tip in that circumstance? Well, I think 15% to 20% is always acceptable. I think what people may get confused on is they're looking at the total. So mm-hmm. you don't want to tip on taxes. You can look at the, at the subtotal before taxes mm-hmm. and tip you know, what you feel is accordingly. If you go to that coffee shop 
every day for three months. Mm-hmm. And you get excellent service, and they know what your order is, and they know your name. You should be tipping. Hmm. Uh, and particularly, as I said, in Quebec, because you're automatically taxed on that sale. Okay. Um, so by not tipping, the server is actually paying part of your bill. Natasha, thank you very much. Yeah, thank you. All right. So as you're listening to that, uh, how do you feel about the idea of Natasha's suggestion that even if you get counter service, 15 to 20% is what you ought to tip on that? Because I know that that's a controversial thing for some people. So let us know how you feel about it. You know our number, 1-888-416-8333 on Cross Country Checkup. Michael Mahoney is in Toronto. Hi, Michael. Hey, Ian, how are you? I'm doing well. So like Natasha, you used to be a server. And so I'm curious about your your perspective on, on tipping culture in Canada. Well, back in the day when I was a server putting myself through school, mm-hmm. it was explained to me that tips means to improve prompt service. So if mm-hmm. you weren't prompt, you didn't get service. Mm-hmm. And, you know, um, plain and simple, you pay for what you get. And if someone's not going to give me prompt service, I'm not going to give them a tip. Now, at the same time, should I be giving a tip to the Midas muffler man? Should I be giving uh, a tip to uh, the teacher in the school? The reason why servers get tips is because they, they earn a server's wage, which is less than other wages. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so they work for their tips. They don't work for their tips. They don't get their tips. Yeah. So that's an option for the customer to improve prompt service. Now, with an Uber driver, he's not going to open my door. I'm not going to give him a tip. He's not going to open the trunk to put my bag in. I'm not going to give him a tip. I want an improved prompt service. And how does that go when you don't give tips in situations where you feel one isn't justified, but one might be expected? What kind of reaction do you get? Oh, it's very negative. And as a result, then I don't return to that mm, service or to that business. Right. And that's the option of, of the person who's paying the bill. Yeah. Um, so I come in, I want to smile, I want some decent conversation, or maybe just to be left alone. <laughs> and, you know, they, they, they get that pretty quick. Mm-hmm. And I go to the Swiss Chalet once a week. And mm-hmm. I got to tell you, I tip very well at the Swiss Chalet. Nice, nice. Uh, listen, without putting the brand name in here, you, you brought up uh, a muffler shop, let's say. Um, have you run into that? Has a, a garage or muffler shop or mechanic ever had a tip prompt uh, when you've gone in there? Everyone's putting on tips. It's despicable. The <laughs> fact that as a professor, as a teacher, they don't get tips. Mm-hmm. That's because they agreed to a wage. They do their job. Now, if you agree to a lower wage, knowing that you're going to have to service the customer a little bit extra, then you have to earn that tip. And that's part of your wage. Michael, I hope your uh, muffler is being attached properly and uh, (laughs) everything's working out. Thank you very much. God bless you, Ian. All right, let's uh, go back to uh, Bruce McAdams, who we heard from near the beginning of the show, an associate professor in the School of Hospitality, Food and Tourism Management at the University of Guelph, and he studies tipping. Bruce, uh, first of all, uh, you can react to any or all of the callers we've had on the program so far. Very 
diverse responses and bringing up different points. You know, one thing I would I would say is, um, you know, uh, there is a labor shortage in in service and retail operations, restaurants across Canada, and operators are now using this. Um, tipping, whether it be at the muffler shop or into the coffee shop, as a way to try to attract and and retain talent. So that's one of the things we have to consider with um, these businesses um, uh, now asking for uh, tips. And also, just uh, that server wage is is interesting. Not all provinces. Um, have server wages some it's a minimum wage like Alberta for everyone whether you're a server or whatever and and what used to be a, a significant difference in server wages where it might be 20 30 percent between what a server makes and a, a regular employer uh, employee as minimum wage those have the gaps have closed very much so that that is still in our thinking that you know servers make significantly less money per hour and that's really not the case anymore that's sort of been a been a Listen, I, I may be wrong on this, and if I am, callers can can correct me. But l- l- let's focus for a moment on on the muffler shop. And again, we're not talking about any particular muffler shop. But if if there are some that have a tip prompt, and if that tip prompt is because it's hard to get people to work there, so you're trying to to up uh, the 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 benefit of the you know the wages, I guess, basically for the people who work here. It, it feels to me, Bruce, that there's there's just a better way to do that because. If we're expected to add 10% to our bill anyway in order to quote-unquote tip the person who's putting the muffler on, why not just have the cost of the muffler work increase by 10%, you have the certainty for everybody involved there, you increase your wages to reflect that, and we don't have to go through this, I don't know, for some people, agonizing thought process of how much do you tip the muffler person? Uh, it's a great question, and that's the difference between okay, the uh, muffler person was going to charge a hundred dollars, and that's out on their A-frame sign out in front. Now they have to charge a uh, hundred and twenty without the tipping as an option. That's sort of built in, and this is what would happen if we got rid of tipping in restaurants. And people have to understand is you wouldn't be saving money. That that expectation of the tip would just be built into the costs in the first place. So the muffler company is thinking, well, I. Can can keep my advertised prices lower by paying a lower wage and try to increase my wages and compensation of my employers through tips. And so if if there's another muffler shop across the way, um, I'm still going to be at if he's accepting tips or even lower than him if he isn't accepting tips. So that's part of the reasoning. Tiny bit deceptive though, I think, if uh, if that's the the bigger strategy. And, and Ian, this comes back to the, again, the whole confusion and, um, you know, complexity of tipping. And especially now that non-traditional businesses that, um, you know, are doing this. And and I think we can hear that in the guests calling in, you know, the words like disgusting. Um, <laughs> this is something that 10 years ago, if, if we had done this call-in show, uh, uh, we wouldn't be hearing uh, those sorts of uh, references. Mm-hmm. I want to play another clip for you, uh, Bruce. When we talk about per- per- pervasiveness of uh, tipping, part of that has been driven by technology. Olivier Saint-Cyr is an associate professor at the Faculty of Information at the University of Toronto who studies user desi- experience design. And we spoke to him about how credit card machines and tablets influence the way we tip at the counter. Now what we're seeing in the design of some device, the person will take your order and just flip that or turn that to you. But the person is standing right in front of you. So there's a sense of 
the social pressures of tipping. The other aspects is the design of the actual user interface. So what you see on the display, essentially. Some device, they'll give the owner of the business the, the option to add like either an emoji next to the tipping amount or a keyword, for example, good, very good, and, and excellent, and outstanding. And so typically the, the people will associate keywords such as good or very good with like lower tipping amount and outstanding with higher tipping amounts. It kind of tricks people into like tipping into a higher bucket. So the keywords and the emojis that are associated with some of the preset amount can actually influence you to tip higher. Yeah, I've run into that, uh, Bruce, the the emoji. And it's kind of, I do, I do feel sort of guilted into tipping more because I want to have the emoji look happier than than the 15% <laughs> tip. Um, what do you think about the, the impact that the technology is having on, on how much we're paying? It is having uh, an impact. It's it's you know whether it's nudging, it's it's different design in the payment process. This is playing back to that other thing that you've mentioned several times is guilt, um, though. And and we have to realize and and the idea that tipping is a social norm, or if we're asked to do something, we expect or, or we accept that you know this is something that I should be doing. But that also has to be. We have to consider uh, again the reaction of the customer, especially from your operators that are putting in these systems and and thinking short term this is going to result in higher tips in etc 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 because the research is still relatively new but as i mentioned earlier the the research in the pre-service versus post-service and also what people are saying about having to uh, pay uh, expected to pay higher tips is they they just won't come back and that is something that um, operators are are not going to know until maybe it's too late. So this whole idea of of you know the uh, the nudging and the design of of uh, pre service or post service even uh, digital payment methods is something that that I really think operators need to tread cautiously with. Bruce, I have so many more questions for you, uh, but we also have so many more calls. So stand by. We're going to come back to you uh, later on in the hour. You're listening to Cross Country Checkup live on CBC Radio and CBC News Network. I'm Ian Hanamansing in Vancouver. Our number is 1-888-416-8333, or you can go to cbc.ca slash aircheck or text us 226 758 8924. Are your tips keeping up with inflation? Which jobs deserve tips and which ones don't? John Oliveros is in Montreal. Hi, John. Hi, Ian. I'm an, I'm an Uber Eats um, food delivery person. I deliver by bike. Fantastic. And, um, you know, uh, many of your guests have pointed out that, uh, pointed out certain situations that really don't call for tips, and I can certainly understand that. But, but for, for food delivery, uh, you should for sure tip if you want uh, good service. Mm-hmm. And the reason why is because um, food delivery people, when we get in a when we get a call that appears on our phones, um, they they show us uh, where we're going to pick up, where we're going to deliver, and how much we can expect to make for that call, which would include an advance tip uh, if there is an advance tip. Um, there's no, it doesn't say like whether or not there is a tip. It just gives you the total amount of what Uber pays and what the, the customer pays in a tip. Sometimes it's just, you know, it's just Uber, but you can't, you can't, you can't really tell, but you just look at the amount and you think about, you think, is this worth it? Is this trip worth it? Um, and you have the right to reject, uh, every call 
that comes in if it's really not worth it for you. Yeah. Um, so if I have a call coming in and if it's three dollars, um, it's uh, I'm very it's very unlikely that I'll take that call mm-hmm. because uh, calls um, calls can take like twenty minutes and yep. just do the math. It's just not worth it. So if John, tip, John, I'm so happy that you, that you've called in because I, I have so many questions for you. I, I've not ordered food via Uber Eats, so I'm not exactly sure how it works, but. I guess, you know, if, if I were to order, I would see what the food cost. And I, I assume there's a there's kind of a built-in delivery charge as well. Um, and then additionally, I guess there's obviously room for me to tip. And so you're saying that you kind of just see the total there and you decide whether the trip is worth it for you. But from a customer perspective, what should I be tipping? What should I be adding to make sure you deliver my pizza on time? Well, the absolute minimum, I would say, is two dollars, mm-hmm. but um, five dollars is even better, obviously, mm-hmm. and even higher if, if you know, because the the more you tip, the more likely it, the, the sooner someone they'll find someone, let's say, to to take that call. If I get it, if I get a call coming in, it's twenty dollars. I'll go away practically anywhere for twenty dollars. <laughs> um, yeah, right. Uh, you know, yep. I mean, I I just did a call. Uh, one or two days ago for $28 and it took me like 20 minutes to do it. Mm-hmm. And that's because the customer uh, gave me a $16 tip. Uh, in fact, uh, the, the amount was lower when I got the call and it, even when it was lower along with the tip, it was still worth it. And mm-hmm. the customer tipped, tipped me another $8 after I made the, the, the delivery. One thing, one very important thing to remember is that uh, when you tip in advance, it doesn't mean that the, the delivery person is going to just um, take their time or not make sure the food is kept hot or leave the um, the, the meal on the order up, out on the sidewalk um, because uh, you can retract a, an advanced tip. Yeah. So the advanced tip, the idea of, a, of putting an advanced tip is to attract someone, the delivery person, to uh, to take your call because you know if you don't, if I don't take your call, they send the the order to someone else if there's someone else around and they might not take the call either. And then, mm-hmm. you know, they keep on trying to get people to take the call. And like I said, if, if it's only a $3 call, you know, it's going to take a while before someone accepts that call. Yep. And you have to also remember too, that essentially you're competing with other customers mm-hmm. for, for the delivery person to take yep. your call. So if you don't give a tip, uh, because when I, when I get a call and, and, the, the the amount is very low. I'm I'm thinking like, well, it's not 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 only is this, is this, this not worth it, but I think I could get a better call than this. Yeah, we're speaking but, to know, jo- think- we're speaking to John Oliveros, who is a uh, Uber Eats food deliver uses his bicycle in Montreal. John, as I said, I'm so happy you called in. Uh, we've got so many other people who want to get on the show. So can I ask you a few quick questions and, and, uh, and sure. give me some quick answers? Um, so, yeah. so first of all, um, do you deliver all year on your bike? Because Montreal in February is a cold, snowy place. Well, in Montreal, people eat all year. So <laughs> I kind of have to 
You know, but, I remember a customer asking me that, do you do this in the wintertime? And I said, well, do you eat in the wintertime? Yeah. Of course, I have to okay. deliver in the wintertime. I, it's just, uh, I mean, it's hard enough to drive in Montreal in February, uh, much less uh, ride, drive a bike. Anyway, okay, so that's interesting. Um, secondly, um, give me a sense. I've always been curious about this. There's so many food deliverers here in Vancouver, and I just wonder how much they make. And that's a question we don't you know, normally ask people, but I just like on a delivery, again, I call you up, John, or I call Uber Eats, you take my call to, you know, for a pizza. Um, how much do you actually get in your pocket uh, for that delivery? Well, as I said, uh, I mentioned that call I made the other day that uh, for $28, mm-hmm. for that call, Uber paid me uh, just a bit more than $11. So it varies, you know, like um, I think Uber has, seems to have this dynamic um uh, pricing, um, well, the dynamic, I guess, payment uh, mm-hmm. for mm-hmm. to the delivery drivers, yep. and I guess it depends on how. Um, like I said, if maybe there's not too many delivery people around, they have to raise the the payment so that they'll attract mm-hmm. someone to take the call. Yep. And other times, it's like only three dollars. Um, but like I said, if you if you make it, if you, the, the the higher you make your tip, the more likely it is. You know, the more likely it'll compensate for whatever Uber is paying if they're not paying very much. Yeah, and last um, last question for you, John. And as I say, I, I got so many other calls I want to go to, but um, I, I've learned about something called tip baiting, where somebody will offer a big tip up front to persuade you to take my call and bring my pizza, like right now. Um, but then, when the delivery is actually done, they don't tip what they said they would. I, I, have you run into that at all? Uh, I think I've uh, maybe once, but I've, yeah. I've been delivering since September 2018. I've made, made more than 14,000 calls, um, orders, and um, I I really don't. I mean, maybe it's Montreal. We're not jerks here, <laughs> um, and uh, and it just doesn't happen. Okay. Uh, I mean, in fact, like I said the, the, just the other day, uh, usually what, what happens if uh, if the amount changes. It's because the customer gives me an even higher tip at the end. They even add a tip afterwards. Well, it's good to hear, John. Thank you very much for calling and stay warm. Thank you. <laughs> You're listening to Cross Country Checkup. I'm Ian Hanna-Mansing. Are your tips keeping up with inflation? Which jobs deserve tips and which ones don't? Our phone number here is 1-888-416-8333. Lee Charlton is also in Montreal. And Lee, I see you are a restaurant worker. How are you? Good. How are you? Good. How do you feel about uh, where we're at in Canada right now with tipping? Um, I feel like there's a new a new norm to what tipping is, mm-hmm. like especially the self-serve or um counter service where mm-hmm. you do or where you are expected to giving a tip and I'm not too sure myself how much tip I should be giving without looking stingy. Mm-hmm. Um Usually I do tip 15% when I'm on a counter service. Um, I never thought to ask actually who gets the tips because I did actually work at a cafe and I, I'm in the kitchen side and the baristas and cooks, we would make almost the same amount of money and uh, there was no tips. They would just charge more for the price of food. Mm-hmm. But the service was staying the same, and all of the money that was made extra would go to the management. Hmm. Nothing went to the staff. So it, it was kind of iffy for that situation. I know there are a lot of places that the tips 
kind of off the books go to the owners, hmm. uh, which is very illegal yeah. in my in my eyes. But like, how do you know if it's just if there's nothing written down or anything, or if you get the cash tips? How do you know where the money goes? Yeah. How do you know who's getting more money than someone else? If they pool all the tips, maybe a favorite employee will get more money than somebody else. Mm-hmm. And they're they're all working as hard. Or some one yeah. one waiter is gonna get a bigger section than another waiter. So you're a kitchen um, you're a kitchen worker at your restaurant, right? Yes. And and so how do you feel about how it actually works at your restaurant? Do you think that it, the your share of the tipping is fair? Well, I've worked in a lot of restaurants over the years, and I guess from, I guess maybe 20 years ago, uh, the hourly wage was a lot smaller mm-hmm. for kitchen staff. It's a little higher now, but not by much. And if you're working in a fine dining restaurant, as a waiter, you'll make what, like the, the minimum wage, I think, mm-hmm. or sometimes even less. But you'll have a table that'll have a bill of maybe four or $500 mm-hmm. and you're getting the full tip off of that table while yeah. the kitchen staff, I was making, I think 1350 an hour and I didn't get any tips. Hmm. All right, so, Lee. Like, yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. And, and there's, there's that, there's always that conflict of, um, the waiters are making a little less money than the cooks, but, the waiters are coming back with maybe a thousand, two thousand dollars a week. Hmm. Or if one table in the restaurant is going to order a two hundred dollar bottle of wine, and then the other table orders a forty dollar bottle of wine, you're tipping based on that expensive bottle of wine, but you're still getting the same service as you would buying the $40 bottle of wine. Why do you tip more money? I know. That is uh, has always been a question that's perplexed a lot of people. Lee, we have a bit of an audio issue on your call, so let me end it there, but thank you very much for calling. Let me go to Sudbury, Ontario now. Peter Boyd is a taxi driver there. Hi, Peter. Peter, are you still there? Okay, he's not still there. So you know what I'm going to do is go to Bruce, who's been uh, staying with us uh, throughout the hour. He is an associate professor in the School of Hospitality, Food and Tourism Management at the University of Guelph. And and Bruce, uh, one of the questions I wanted to ask you is how does tipping in Canada compare to what happens in other countries? Tipping in in North America is is pretty much unique. So so Canada and the U.S. are are very much aligned in in our our norm, our social norm of tipping and expectations on where to and and they really mirror each other as to how much. Um, in the U.S., there's a little bit of a higher expectation, but in other countries, uh, as was mentioned by uh, previous callers, uh, Australia, and New Zealand. Um, there's no tipping. Iceland, I've I've studied some restaurants in Iceland. There's tipping is not expected there. In France, uh, there's a 15% service charge that it's it's the law uh, from the French government that cafes, restaurants, and such have to put that on the bill, which 
which sort of dissuades tipping, and, and people will sometimes leave a little bit extra. In Asia, in most cases, there is no tipping. In, in fact, in Japan, um, it's considered an insult, and and you can you're warned ahead of time to make sure uh, you don't tip. So, you know, other than some parts of of Europe where there's a lot of tourism, where tipping has sort of um, crept into into practices there because the amount of North American tourism um, going over to those places. Uh, most of the world is is uh, does not have the same sort of uh, model that we do. Yeah, yeah. I was in Iceland earlier this year and discovered that no tipping expectation and it didn't seem to affect service at all. And when we tried no. to tip, um, people just said, no, you know, don't do it. And and everything seemed to to work out fine there. I know you've done some research on this in the past. And, and let me just tell you, we've got about 90 seconds before I have to take a break here, but we can at least start to address this. Um, how do businesses feel about tipping? <laughs> that's right. So I'm going to speak to mostly restaurants because that's my uh, my field of study. Mm-hmm. Um, so restaurateurs have always felt um, that tipping, they, they if they could create restaurants tomorrow, they wouldn't include, include tipping because it was a headache, but it was something they felt burdened to keep at because the customer wanted it and because it was a way to help control their labor costs and also ensure good service. So the good service has sort of been proven many times now that there's really no relationship between having tipping and and improving service. The consumers now are um, questioning tipping. So this is putting operators uh, in a place now, in restaurants at least, where they're really scratching their head and looking at potentially considering other methods. The, the most popular thing that's happening now is moving from tip sharing to tip pooling. So tip sharing is when a server gives a, a small percentage and then the manager dictates where it goes. And tip pooling is uh, everyone working shares in the tips. Um, so we're seeing a lot of, of mm-hmm. um, uh, fluidity in, in that model. And in times where survival is everything, you know, restaurateurs really shouldn't be having to uh, spend uh, you know, sleepless nights thinking about what they need to do with tipping. Yeah, Bruce McAdams, we're going to come back to you uh, early in the next hour, so please stand by and we will continue our program. Uh, I, I want to look at some more of the social media reaction. Frederick Hoare on X Twitter says, when I take a 6 a.m. cab ride from my home in Dorval to the airport, I tip. I appreciate the early morning pickup, but for the three-kilometer ride from the airport to my home, I don't tip a cent as the minimum mandated fare is $18. That's for three kilometers, especially when drivers don't help me with my life. Luggage. Paul Matt or Mate uh, via Twitter slash X says, tipping culture is way out of control. I'm not tipping to buy a pack of gum at a gas station just because the debit machine allows it. Hollis Felkel uh, via Twitter slash X, uh, who's in the United States, I know. I don't mind tipping at all when good service is provided. When you tip shame me at the counter for little or no effort on your part, it makes me frustrated, even a bit angry. Earn it and you'll get it, but don't ask when you really have it. All right, for those of you who are watching on CBC News Network, it's time for us to sign off, at least to the television broadcast. Rosemary Barton Live is next. I'm Dr. Brian Goldman, host of the CBC podcast, The Dose. Each week, we answer health topics in a smart and sometimes counterintuitive way you won't hear anywhere else. Like, what's the least amount of exercise I can do to get the benefits? Which psychedelics can improve my mental health? And how can I check for cancer if I don't have a family doctor? Top experts help me bring you what you need to know in plain language in about 20 minutes. Find The Dose on the CBC Listen app or wherever you get your podcasts. 
You are listening to Hour 2 of Cross Country Checkup live on CBC Radio. We have about 15 minutes left on our main topic. And then coming up in our Ask Me Anything segment, as many of us brace for holiday travel, industry numbers indicate that unruly passenger behavior is on the rise. We'd like to hear your stories about the bad behavior you've witnessed while flying. And we'll have an etiquette expert and a flight attendant to answer your questions about the do's and don'ts of flying. What about that middle armrest or the armrest for the people in the middle seat? Who uh, who can claim ownership over those? Just one of the many pet peeves and questions that people have. You can start calling now with your Ask Me Anything questions about aviation etiquette. 1-888-416-8333. You can text us too. 226-758-8924. Those are the numbers people are also using on our main topic. And I'm going to try to get through a bunch of calls quickly because we have so many people who are weighing in on this. Let's go to Niagara Falls, Ontario. Maria DeSalvo is calling us. Hi, Maria. Hi. How do you feel about tips and are they keeping up with inflation? Well, I'm glad you did this show because this has been something that I've been scratching my head over every time I go out. And right now, because it's the holidays, you know, I'm I'm here. I'm in so many different places and it, I find it's just become willy-nilly. It's it's different everywhere. And, yeah, even picking up dry cleaning, you know, there's a, an option there now. And and things I can't even remember, like yeah. gas stations and that. So, um, but I had a, a family member who worked for a catering, a high-end catering company in Toronto. And um, if it was a private party, it was great because um, people were really generous at the end of the evening, you know, they they would tip according to how they felt and even asked for uh, this person to come back uh, or got, you know, can, can I ask for you to come back uh, to another friend's house because you were a great server. But there was golf course um, situation where, you know, they were out in the scorching heat working all day. There were students there um, and they worked hard, but there was no tip jar allowed and people didn't have cash. Mm-hmm. And so they put it on their credit cards and they asked the owner several times what happened to our tips and they never got the tips. Mm. And so, um, you know, that's an example where, you know, it, and, and a lot of venues did not allow them like um, convention centers and that didn't allow them when they were doing bartending yeah. to put a jar out. That's just their policy. So they, they just got minimum wage. So Maria, let me uh, ask you a question. You said uh, you're seeing these tip prompts in all kinds of places where you wouldn't expect them, including yeah. your dry cleaner. And I assume a lot of people end up going to the same dry cleaner regularly. Uh, so how do you handle that when you see the tip prompt? I, if I don't feel that this is something um, where I, I just use my own judgment. And I go, no, I don't think that I need to tip in this situation, and I'm not going to. Yeah. You know, I mean, I know what I always tipped on, and that's what I continue to tip on. And I'm the kind of person that they come and they ask, you, how are those first bites? How's your meal? I tell them if there's something wrong, because I like to know. I'm in business for myself, and if something's not right, I want to know mm-hmm. so that I can do a better job going forward. And I feel that restaurants need to be do the same thing. Right. Hey. And and I think kitchen staff should be getting a portion of the tips because, you know, the presenter is the the um, the waiter, but the kitchen is the one who's doing the food. And I think that they should be getting a percentage. Hey, Maria, it's it's not on topic, but I need to ask you a follow up because I, I've never felt comfortable saying that the first few bites 
aren't good even when they're not. When you say that, you're honest, they're asking your feedback, what happens then? Um, it depends. Sometimes they'll say, oh, I'm really sorry to hear that. Can we get you something else or what's wrong with it? And then I'll tell them and they'll try to make it right. Nice. Most places will try to make it right. Yeah, of course they will. That's good to know. I've never... Because things aren't always the way... They... But I have friends that are mortified when they go out with me because... <laughs> They will just say, oh, yeah, it's great. And then the minute she walks away, they're like, this is awful. Yeah. I don't even know if I could eat it. I'm like, well, why didn't you say something? Yeah. Oh, I don't like to say anything. Oh, yeah. like, what, we're paying for food now. Yeah. Why would you not say something? I admire your approach, but I'm like your friends. I think I would be mortified oh, as well. No. But no. I'm glad you're speaking <laughs> up. Thank you, Maria. You're welcome. Okay, to Calgary now, Stephen Wright is calling us. Hi, Stephen. Hi. I, I see you work for Instacart, uh, which I've not used, but I guess it's a service that delivers groceries. Uh, yes, it is. Okay, and so how? Uh, so, so tell me how tipping works for Instacart, and by that I mean like how much do you get in tips? Well, there are a lot of orders that I do on a daily basis. I'll work three or four hours on, and when I want to make a lot of money, as a full day. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when you calculate what you work over 12-hour days, most times it's less than minimum wage. Yeah. Because uh, what Instacart as a company does is, you know, you'll do an order that's three batches for three separate deliveries. So you're shopping for three separate customers. But because the company also offers free delivery to sign new customers up, Uh, you'll pick an order where the tip for one customer is being used to subsidize the cost of delivering for another customer. Mm -hmm. Uh, And if you're in a store and for some, an item is unavailable, when you deliver that order, what you expect as a pay for doing that order is usually reduced. uh, In some cases, tips just completely cancel. Mm-hmm. What about the idea, and I've talked about it earlier in the program, where Instacart just charges what would allow them to give you a fair wage or amount and, and worker and, and customers wouldn't have to sort of figure out what, what a fair tip is. And that would be a, reason, a reasonable approach. Because I understand BC is looking at doing something like that as mm-hmm. for gig economy workers, because I've also done the skip the dishes delivery where, you, you know, that tip, the, uh, that's added to an order mm-hmm. or, or what one your call is called a pre-tip. Yep. Is there added to an order? But once you deliver that order, you know, a customer has the right to, you know, claw back the tip. So yep. you might see a $15 delivery five kilometers away. Mm-hmm. Uh, you go five kilometers to pick up the order, then drive the five kilometers to deliver the order, uh, thinking that you're going to get paid the $15. But yep. at the end of the day, you might, might go to make $5 for doing that delivery. Yep. All right, Stephen, uh, there's so much more I could ask you about, but I do want to get through uh, some of the many calls that I have standing by. So thank you very much mm-hmm. for calling. Uh, you're welcome. Let's go to Sudbury, Ontario now. Peter Boyd, the taxi driver I was hoping to talk to a few minutes ago, is on the line this time around. Hi, Peter. Hi, how are you? Good. Are your tips as a taxi driver keeping up with inflation? I find they're not. I'm finding that uh, people are a little bit uh, financially stressed. Uh, nowadays, so mm-hmm. they're tipping uh, quite a bit less. I would say, on average, uh, one out of every three or one out of every four people that enter the cab tip. Oh wow! Uh, okay, that's that's fewer I than I would have thought. 
What's that? That's fewer than I would have thought. One yeah, in three. I yeah, don't, I don't expect a tip, but mm-hmm. when people do tip, it's kind of like a bonus. Mm-hmm. Uh, as most taxi drivers are minimum wage earners, so it really, really helps the bottom line. So let me ask you a question that I've asked earlier in the program. Uh, if, yep. if, if you were to pick me up in Sudbury, um, how much, and if I were to say to you, like, how much should I tip you? What would the answer be? Uh, on, a, on a fare that's, uh, let's say, under $20, mm-hmm. uh, a good tip is anywhere from 2 to, and a fantastic tip is $5, but $2 is a good tip. $5 is a fantastic tip. Mm-hmm. And um, and so part of the tip is just like to, to supplement, you know, what you're making, which basically is minimum wage. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Now, now for the extras, like, because I know some people who will say, well, did, did the driver get out of the car? Did they open the door? Did they, you know, go to the uh, trunk and pull something, you know, the, yeah. the piece of luggage out? Uh, what are the extras that I should tip more for? Uh, I personally uh, try to give all of my customers, 100% of my customers, fantastic service. Mm -hmm. Uh, One of the little bonuses that customers get when they're repeat customers and we know they tip, sometimes the meter doesn't go on for, you know, a half kilometer. Mm -hmm. And that way it saves the customer a couple of dollars. Mm -hmm. So they scratch my back and, you know, and our boss does allow for the uh, meter to go on at a later time. Nice, nice. So that that helps us uh, with tips, with regulars. If it's somebody we pick up and we know they don't tip, or if they expect you to wait around with the meter off, mm-hmm. well, we're not going to do it for a customer that's not going to tip anyways, and we're not going to wait for that customer. Yeah. But I try to give customer all customers, regardless of whether they tip, fantastic service. Peter, one last question, and uh, I'll make it quick because I, I do want to get to another call here uh, yeah. almost right away. And that is, um, as a guy who knows the importance of getting tips, uh, when you are a customer and let's say you're at a you know non-traditional tipping place, a store, and you see the tip prompt uh, there, what do you do? I normally go to other and I give a dollar amount. That way I can track my tips more easily. Mm-hmm. You did have somebody on saying they worked in a antique store, yep. but they were also a server and she hit the nail on the head perfectly. Servers are normally our best tippers. Mm-hmm. Oh, I see. Right. They Interesting. realize the importance of yep. the tips. Yeah. Peter, thank you for calling. Thank you. All right, before uh, we wrap this up and go back to Bruce, let's uh, get one more call in. David Judge is in Grand Prairie, Alberta. Hi, David. Hello there. If I'm reading my notes right, it says you're a union rep for Via Rail. Is that correct? Yes, yeah. I represent rail workers in, in different sectors, but in, in Via Rail, they do, uh, they do deal with the tip option. And so what happens? What, how, how, what, what are those options and how, what effect does it have on the workers? So before COVID, there, there, it was, it was um, a cash business for the workers that were on the train selling items like coffee, uh, newspapers, uh, well, not so much newspapers anymore, but, you know, magazines, um, chocolate bars, those sort of things, convenience items, and uh, they were allowed to, to collect a tip. Mm-hmm. Um, but post-COVID, they went to a credit card-only option, and there was no tip option. And um, as bargaining agents, we try to... Uh, get the corporation to allow for a tip option, but um, they said no. They would it's against corporate policy, and they didn't want to add a tip option. The customers were already paying a, uh, a, a 
quite a bit to to ride the via train. Mm-hmm. However, that didn't change when it became when it was time to negotiate the wages. The wages didn't reflect the difference. So, for those that, that were able to get tips on the train, it was quite a difference uh, in how much money that they they were able to make. It was uh, it was a real blow to their pocketbook. And I believe mm-hmm. it's the same on Air Canada as well that the stewardesses that work in very challenging sorry the the flight attendants that work in very challenging conditions. Um, you know, don't have that tip option uh, for for purchases on the plane either. It's it's all credit card. And and so you know, one of the issues with tipping sometimes, David, is inequities. And so aboard a via train, uh, if tipping were allowed and when it was allowed, um, wouldn't there have been inequities between the people who could get tips and the people who can't? Absolutely. Yeah, those who could get uh, um, could get tips. There was a difference in the wage, and and that difference is still there. But there's but there's no tip to make up the difference anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, they they're paid de- decently. Don't get me wrong. It's not like this like in a restaurant where they're often paid a server's wage. It's not that. So the, the wages are there. The corporation does have a point. However, you know, even for the service that the that the uh, customer gets on the train, you know, people were motivated to push the carts more up and down the aisle, make sure they provided really, really good service in order to try and, you know, get some tips and, and yeah. to improve their, their income. And, and without that option, you know, I, I don't know that the, that this, the, the service is less, but, you know, the, the motivation there for the earning the tip has, has been taken away from them. And, and that wasn't reflected in the wage. So, you know, I, I know that some people have talked about just pay them a fair wage. and Or if you take the tip option away, it'll be passed on to the employee. Mm-hmm. That hasn't happened in, in this case. I, I appreciate your candor, David. And I also love on this program how we get such a variety of voices on issues. So thank you very much for calling. You're very welcome. Thank you for having me. We're about to start the AMA in just a moment, and that is about airline etiquette. So if you have calls about things that have happened from the lining up to the sitting down to the leaving the plane uh, that you would like to get off your chest, or you have a question for our two AMA experts, it's uh, a good time for you to call in with those, one 416 But before we get there, let's go back to Bruce McAdams one more time, an associate professor in the School of Hospitality, Food and Tourism Management at the University of Guelph. And Bruce, we have a couple of minutes left in this segment of the program, and I'll just let you take it in any direction you want uh, for a couple of closing comments. Great, Dean. Thank you for having me on the show. Um, You know, I think what we've heard today really represents, uh, you know, the wide spectrum of, of feelings about tipping and where we are in tipping culture in Canada. And it really is accentuated, you know, frustration and, and maybe a lack of education or, or transparency, knowing things. And I think this has really been spurred on by tip creep. Um, whereas, you know, in traditional tipping uh, situations like restaurants or the salon or your pizza driver, we sort of knew what we were supposed to do. And it was pretty straightforward. And in inflationary times, we might get a little upset or if we see tipflation and and they're putting numbers a little higher on the payment machine we might have a little bit of backlash but this tip creep and the and the advent of more digital payment methods more asking for tipping upfront as well as you know spurred on by the amount of delivery and and uh, etc is really really affecting tipping across um, sort of all industries now that are partaking in in it, and it it is, so, you know, I I feel you know I've been doing this twelve years, and and I really never thought tipping would would change too much unless the government stepped in. But I really get a sense of uh, the consumer 
um, you know, maybe maybe having the uh, impact on on changing things moving forward. We're at a bit of a crossroads right now. Yeah, I posted uh, something on social media a, f- a week and a half ago when I was taking a cab from downtown Toronto to Pearson and the tip prompts were 20, 25 and 30%. That tip, or sorry, that tweet that I sent out or post on X got 500,000 engagements and it's about 800 comments and it prompted us to do this program and we're actually going to do a little bit more on this on the national tonight. I think our, 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 we're trying to get you for an interview tonight. Are, are we going to talk again later today, Bruce? Uh, we are, as far as I know. Yep. Okay. Excellent. That's, <laughs> just wanted to check that live on and the maybe air. Maybe next week, the way we're going with tipping. Yeah. yeah no kidding. It, it's really interesting. It, it's such a pleasure talking to you, and uh, we will talk again this evening on the national. Thanks, Bruce. Thank you, Ian. Bruce McAdams, an associate professor in the School of Hospitality, Food, and Tourism Management at the University of Guelph. It's time for Ask Me Anything: Airplane Etiquette for Bad Passengers. People who hog the armrest, people who eat smelly food on a flight, people who are, well, they have poor hygiene, they don't smell good, or maybe they've even put on too much perfume. I know a lot of women that travel with their babies or fathers that travel with their children, and it's not always an easy experience for them or for the people around them. I don't like feet near bare feet anywhere near my space on the plane. A lot of people put their feet up. If you are a frequent flyer, you may feel that bad behavior on flights is getting worse, and uh, it might not be your imagination. The International Air Transport Association says that unruly passenger incidents rose 47% last year compared to the year before. So with many of you traveling at this time of year, we would like to hear your stories about bad behavior that you've seen on planes. And uh, this is our AMA, so we also are looking forward to hearing your questions. We have two guests here to help us untangle those situations and answer your questions. Kat Jones is a flight attendant based in Calgary. She worked for 10 years as a commercial flight attendant with WestJet and now works on corporate flights. She's in Calgary today. And Randall McDonald is an etiquette expert and a frequent traveler himself. He is in Edmonton and they're both with me for the next, uh, like what, about 50 minutes, I guess, to help uh, address your stories and answer your questions. You can ask them anything about air travel etiquette. You can call us at one 8 888-416-8333, or you can text us at 226-758-8924. Thanks to both of you for joining us. Thank you. Good thanks to be for, here. Yeah, thanks for having me. <laughs> okay, Kat, let's get the flight attendant perspective. And, and we asked you uh, to, you know, share a story of a particular incident of bad behavior from a passenger. Tell us something that stands out to you. Oh, I mean, there's so much. I've seen it all over the 10 years. But, you know, the ones that really stand out in terms of poor etiquette or just a lack of consideration in general, uh, the big one is playing your device on on full volume <laughs> when you're on a red eye, for example, <laughs> or changing a baby's diaper on the seat. I remember one person also giving themselves a pedicure Uh, During the flight, and I'm not talking just a light coat of paint, which is also not okay, but it was 
you know, dead skin on the floor kind of pedicure. So <laughs> <laughs> that one was a bad one. <laughs> and and Kat, you know, you mentioned uh, changing a diaper like in the seat area. Okay, that, that's definitely a no-no. Uh, but at the same yeah. time, y- you, you made a really good point talking to our producer about uh, you know, a mom with a, a, a baby that was crying a lot and people around complaining. And, uh, and, and you pointed out there, the etiquette breach wasn't the mother or the, certainly not the baby. It was the people who were kind of hostile towards them. A hundred percent. Yes. And that's in that specific incident, this young mom was traveling alone. And, uh, for any parents who've traveled with children, we know that that can be extra stressful, especially if there's unexpected delays. And I think in this uh, particular incident, we were delayed and it wasn't it wasn't the smoothest kind of operation that day. And so the baby was very upset and the women in front of the mom were were being very, very hostile towards her to the point where the mom wasn't comfortable sitting in that area anymore. And so we had to intervene as a crew to make sure she was okay. And you had to pass on a note, I think, from the captain telling the complainers to to quiet down. Exactly. So uh, in that situation, when you get to that point where, especially if there's words exchanged and uh, in a hostile way, and there's kind of verbal harassment happening, we have the, we have the opportunity as a crew um, and the, to our discretion to um, hand over a notice from the captain. And that's essentially just uh, a, a notice saying you are required to follow crew uh, instructions. And if you're not willing to kind of dissolve this situation and, and, and get back on track, then we're going to have to take possible legal action. Yeah. I mean, I've never been hostile to another passenger, but I have to admit, Kat, that my uh, attitude towards screaming babies on a plane changed a lot once my wife and I had a kid, right? <laughs> like before that, I was less uh, less sympathetic. And then once you have a baby, then you realize, yeah, this is not anybody's fault. Uh, Randall, you are a frequent uh, traveler and, and I want you to share with us a memorable etiquette breach recently that involved a wedding cake. Oh, yes. <laughs> so um, I, I have a real pet peeve about uh, the carry on situation that's happening right now. Um, I think people have uh, crossed the line as far as the amount of carry on they're bringing on. And, and we can talk about that a bit further. But um, I understand uh, bridal parties needing to bring on board their outfits, particularly the bride and groom. I mean, that has to be at the wedding. However, <laughs> there was a wedding party that brought their wedding cake on board. It delayed the flight 20 minutes as we, the crew very graciously tried to accommodate this wedding cake. I think that's just crossing the line. You can get a wedding cake made at your destination. And, and so I'm trying to picture this, like, was it in a really tall box or what, what happened? It was several boxes stacked together, but oh, obviously course, they course, had yeah. to stay, they had to stay, upright and stable and um, the crew put them in the kitchen area again very very gracious but it, it took a lot of juggling up for the crew um, and again delayed her flight I thought it was just uh, that was a, that was crossing the line. <laughs> uh, Kat as a, a flight attendant who worked for a major airline for 10 years uh, what would you say to anyone who's listening out there who's thinking of carrying their wedding cake in multiple boxes with them on a flight? 
I would echo Randall on this one and say <laughs> if there's any possibility to find a bakery at your destination, I would go with that option. <laughs> we are looking for your pet peeves about flying, your questions about etiquette in the air. Our number is one 416 8333 On AirCheck, Kim Avery had a comment for us. She's in Toronto. She says, I was traveling to Africa for the first time when I paid for a specific seat on the plane. When I arrived at my seat, a little girl was sitting in my seat. The parents asked if I would switch seats and I said kindly no because I paid extra for this seat. I felt terrible but if people wanted a specific seat they had the choice to pay extra to get that specific seat. Now Kat, uh, seating can be complicated sometimes because uh, you know there are times when when People will book their fare and uh, they don't get assigned a seat or the plane is changed on a flight and all of a sudden the seats get jumbled around. But basically, what's the etiquette when it comes time to wanting a seat that is not the one you're assigned to? I would say if you have paid for that seat, then that's your you, – you are you have a right and you're 100 percent entitled to that seat no matter what. Mm-hmm. Uh, in this particular situation with the, with the young child, uh, we are also as a crew, at least when I was working for the commercial airline, uh, we were required if the parents asked and if the child was under a certain age to try and accommodate the family to make sure they're seating together. Mm-hmm. But if that – person had paid for that seat intentionally, then that would have been a situation to get the crew involved and they would have hopefully tried to rearrange other people who maybe hadn't paid that extra fee. Yeah. I, I was on a flight recently uh, in, in economy, rows of three. I had an aisle seat and there was a woman sitting next to me in the middle seat. And then someone tapped me on the shoulder and it was her husband. And he said, that's my wife. Can I switch seats with you? And I thought, yeah, that's not going to be a problem. And I just thought to ask, like, are you on the aisle? He goes, no, I have a middle seat. <laughs> it's like, I am not going <laughs> to switch my, I mean, it's really nice that the two of you want to fly together, but I'm not switching my aisle seat for your middle seat further back. And I, uh, I, yeah, I was just incredulous. And then I was embarrassed because I thought people around are probably seeing me not giving up my seat for this couple. Anyway, that's just my private little story uh, that I'm sharing with you. Let, let's go to the phones now. Uh, Sylvia Vilches is in Victoria. Hi, Sylvia. Hi, how are you? Good, good. What is your etiquette question or, or, uh, or complaint about flying? Yeah, I fly for work uh, maybe a month, every month or every maybe a little bit more. And recently I've had two experiences where um, men sitting next to me um, have been on their phones and they have been um, adjusting their underwear um, a lot. And it's been very uncomfortable. And um, <laughs> when I'm stuck on the window side, I don't really want to call the flight attendant and sort of shout across the people who are sitting there about mm-hmm. what I think is going on. And so what I think with Internet available on the planes now, this is going to continue to happen. And so what do the airlines want you to do in that situation? And what 
should happen at the policy level. Like, I, I don't know where to go with this. Yeah. So, Sylvia, I, I appreciate your discretion because, you know, it's it's <laughs> mid-afternoon here in British Columbia yes. and there are people in their cars with probably kids on there. So we don't. So I appreciate that. We don't want to get too explicit, but, but let's be clear enough so that listeners understand what the issue is. I, I, I think... That, that your issue is that you've actually run into this. Now, I, I fly too much and I'm trying to reduce that, <clears throat> but I've not seen this. But, but you, you've seen people who are watching, you know, pornography on their screen and, and you feel like they may be, you know, like uh, doing things uh, while, while they're watching that, right? Yes. I'm not okay. like, I can't. Yeah. I don't know if it's pornography or not because okay. I don't want to like get into their lap and look at what they're looking at. Yeah. Fair enough. I get that. Uh, but, but okay. So, so listen, let, let's go to both Kat and Randall. Uh, Kat, from an airline perspective, um, there, I guess there are two issues here. The, the first one is, well, in fact, let me ask this in, 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 in two parts. So Kat, first of all, if Sylvia is on your plane and she's concerned mm-hmm. about this, uh, and she's in a window seat, so she's like way over there. So as she talks to you, it might be right across, you know, the the person who's who she's complaining about. How should she handle that? I would find a safe time when the seatbelt sign is off to to approach the crew in the galley, uh, and 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 let them know because that's a hundred percent inappropriate. That's something that um, if if you had suspicion that there was. Uh, that type of content being played, um, then we would, that would be a, a situation where we would kind of investigate further and, mm-hmm. and, and intervene for sure. And, and do, Kat, do you ever, have you ever run into any situation like that? I have. Yes. And oh. yeah, it happens more than you think. <laughs> Well, if it, if, if it happened once, <laughs> if it happened once, that's more than I would think. So that that's uh, incredible. And so on. So let's go on to the second part of this, Kat, to, to Sylvia's wider question. What about uh, from a policy perspective? What what can she do to bring like, is it worth her time to contact the airline? I would I would say it, it's it's worth it. Just the more data and information that they have, the better I would I would think. I mean, mm-hmm. I don't I don't work for them anymore, yep. so I don't necessarily represent them. But uh, I would I would definitely think it's worth just putting in putting it into their system so that they know that this is happening. And then that would, you know, perhaps instigate some more uh, training for for the crews, some more awareness around kind of how to deal with that mm-hmm. and so forth. It- and okay. now there's there's a separate issue again, like drawing on my experience as somebody who flies you know, um, I was watching Succession on a flight on with the, the screen on the back of the seat. And there's some scenes in Succession that I suddenly thought, oh, man, like I do not want to be watching this in public. And anyone who can see my screen, uh, like if they're not if they don't know the show and they're not paying attention to what I've been watching before and after, they must be thinking, what is that guy seeing on his screen? So and, and that's like the airline provided um, stuff on there. Uh, Randall, I don't know if you want to weigh in on this issue at all, but uh, any comment from an etiquette perspective? Well, and again, I completely agree. I think uh, what you do is you, at the appropriate moment, get up, uh, go to the back of the plane, uh, speak with the, the crew uh, directly. I guess I would also caution um, about making sure that what you're seeing going on is actually 
uh, happening because uh, it could create quite an uncomfortable situation for you, uh, for the passenger. Um, I might also suggest that uh, when you're speaking to the crew, just see if there's an option to maybe change seats. Mm-hmm. Um, they can be alerted to what's happening. Uh, and then if you can just move the seats, perhaps they can uh, handle it that way. Uh, one of the things the airlines might be able to do, and I think alerting the airlines is a great idea, um, just like you can put um, blocks on your TV as to what pe- your kids can access. Uh, I would think that if airlines are starting to see this, that they should would be able to put the same sort of block on adult content onto their Wi-Fi systems. Yeah. Uh, although I'll bet that uh, the wife, at least the Wi-Fi that I've used on a plane, I don't think you can watch video on it. So it's probably something that they've downloaded and is on their uh, device. Uh, we're speaking to Randall McDonald, right. an airline etiquette expert, and Kat Jones, a uh, former uh, flight attendant with one of the big airlines and still works as a flight attendant for uh, corporate flights, as I understand it. And we are wondering what your pet peeves are about flying, whether it's a comment you'd like to make or a question you have for our guests. You can give us a call at one 888-416-8333. There are certain irritants when it comes to flying that are widely felt and concerning to many people. And Paul Barre is calling from Winnipeg with one of those. Hi, Paul. Hi. Uh, Thanks for taking my call. Uh, I feel like my question is going to be really boring compared to Sylvia's that she just asked. <laughs> no, you know what? But, I, um, first of all, not boring and also widely applicable. So <laughs> so thanks for calling and please go ahead. So I, like you, Ian, I fly a lot, probably every three weeks. Um, one thing that I, that I see periodically, and I'm not going to weigh in with my own opinion, I just until our panel has had a chance to answer, but fully reclining seats in economy class. I'd like both of your uh, guests to answer whether that's a faux pas or whether that should be perfectly acceptable. Okay, Paul, stay on the line because you deserve to uh, weigh in as well. So we will come back to you, but let's reverse order of questions from last time around. But I will go to both of you. Randall McDonald, how do you feel about reclining seats in economy? Well, I guess I have two uh, thoughts. Uh, My first thought is um, if it's a domestic flight, um, under three hours, I don't see any reason for you to recline your seat. Um, as we know, seats uh, in economy have gotten quite small. Um, so I don't see any reason that you would need to recline. If you do feel the need that to recline, you absolutely must uh, put your seat back in the upright position if food is being served or people are consuming food, because that is so rude and so uncomfortable. I hope people follow the Randall McDonald rule and at three hours and one minute. So perhaps from Vancouver to Toronto over Winnipeg, all of a sudden, all the seats recline. We'll see how that goes. Cat uh, Jones. Uh, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Everybody shifts back. That's right. And, and they'll all blame Randall. Cat um, Jones, how do you feel about uh, reclining uh, seats in, in, in economy? So this is a, a a bit of a debate even internally with crew as well. Uh, Prior to this uh, being on today, I was talking to a lot of my friends and colleagues about this and kind of what what might come up. And this was definitely one of them. And my my thought is that if, if you have the ability to recline your seat or use the air vent or have a light, like if there is a service item available to you on a on a flight, you are entitled to use it. I do think so. But I would echo Randall with the uh, eating, 
portion and just having that consideration because the fact of the matter is, is that you are sharing your seat back with the person behind you. It's not just yours. Um, you know, their, their entertainment is there often, you know, their trade table, obviously with the, with the consuming of, of food and drink. And then, and then, you know, we've seen laptops uh, get, you know, broken when, when somebody jolts their seat back unexpectedly. Mm-hmm. For me, I think it more comes down to the the courtesy of the to the person behind you. And in all of my time traveling personally, I've never had an issue reclining my seat. I'm a I'm a I'm a recliner, you know, a self-professed recliner. <laughs> and, and I I just turn around. You make eye contact with the person behind you, and you say, "Hey, I'm a little uncomfortable. Do you mind if I recline my seat?" And I've never had an issue. So, okay. for, yeah, for me, it's yeah. more around that conversation. I was just going to say that that is fantastic advice, though, right? And uh, and it's just the people who's suddenly well. So let me tell you something. First of all, I've never reclined my seat in economy ever because I do feel like it's going to encroach on the space in behind. So whatever, that's just me. Uh, but the other thing is, is that other times, like a seat will recline in front of me, like it's an ejection seat on a jet fighter. Like it just happens so fast. And I just think, yeah, like if somebody actually turned around and asked first, that would be uh, fantastic. Uh, let's go. Oh yeah. Let me go back to, uh, to Paul, uh, in Winnipeg who, who started this interesting conversation. What is your, uh, strategy, uh, Paul, when it comes to reclining a seat? So I think both of our panelists, that should be a video that's played before the flight even leaves. Yes. I think that's fantastic. Yes. What they said. Um, I, the ejection seat is the issue that I have. I, I remember there was some TV commercial, um, that was sort of showing a social mores in a public space. And every every little vignette was showed, and one of them was somebody reclining their seat. And they re- you could see them look behind, and they reclined it about one inch. And that was it. And I'm a one-inch recliner. That's, mm-hmm. that's about as far as I'll go on any flight. Um, so I, I appreciate what they've said. And I think, I think the point uh, that Kat said about just being mindful that you share the space with the person behind you, for goodness sake, like, uh, make eye contact and tell them, you know, I'm going to recline this if it's okay with you. I, I think that's fantastic. And, and I hope that, um, millions of people hear this. Yeah. Well, and so to the video, I was actually going to make that point before you did. So thank you for doing that. You mentioned if, if, if the major airlines, you know, hired and they can choose their person like Seth Rogen or Ryan Reynolds, and they did kind of a lighthearted video with a few bits of uh, etiquette, including, you know, how to recline your seat. I think that would, uh, that would just make it more comfortable for all of us. I agree. Okay. Thanks all right. Thanks for taking my call. Thanks for making your call. I really appreciate it. Let's go to Baker Lake Nunavut and Eva Noah is calling. Hi, Evan. Eva. Eva. Uh, sorry, Eva. Hi, Eva. Hi, this is Eva Noah calling. Yes, yes. Thank you very much uh, for calling. Uh, What is your uh, concern or pet peeve about people on planes? My pet peeve, because we have only one airline to choose from, no other airline, is um, people wearing cologne on their clothes or their parka cologne or perfume. Some people are allergic to that. And for me, it would be a migraine trigger. Hmm. And so when you've run into that, um, what have you done? Have you talked to the flight attendant? 
um, there's nothing else we can do but just fly. Usually it's 40 minutes from our community to the next community. Mm-hmm. And then we, sometimes we can ask to move further from that person sitting. So it is hard with only one airline in our community. Yeah, but it's a really good point that I think applies to all airlines everywhere. So uh, what would you say to people who are listening um, who like to use Cologne? What advice would you have for them before they get on a plane? Uh, Not to use the Cologne. I would ask them not to use the Cologne or perfume because some people are allergic to the smell of it. It triggers migraine. Some people have asthma. And what if somebody suddenly gets allergic to it halfway through the flight or something like something can happen like an emergency? Yeah. Well, listen, not only is it terrific to get a call from Baker Lake, but also a really good point you make. Thank you very much for calling. Okay. Just one more thing. We sure. were in a three-seat, like three-seat. Three the guy next to the window had to go get up because he can't sit for two hours. Our jet flights are two hours from Nunavut to the hospital in Manitoba. Mm-hmm. And he had to get up two times in a two-hour flight. So I thought, I mean, they can actually, if the airlines can seat them by saying, are you going to be able to sit for two hours? Yeah, yeah, that's that's a okay. that's interesting. Thank you very much for the call. That's a tough one, of course, because you. you you get on the plane and 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 you know you have to be able to 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 get up sometimes, maybe to use the washroom or or who knows what. So I don't know. That's that's kind of a, a tough situation for people to be in. Both the people have to move, but also the person who who is the person who has to get up and go wherever he's going. Uh, let's go to Ottawa now. Jen Seltzer is uh, calling us. Hi, Jen. Hi there. What issue would you like to raise? Well, I just have a bit of a a funny story that I've thought about. Did I make the right choice for many years? All right. I look forward uh, to this. (laughs) So several years ago, when you still got food on your airplane, Mm -hmm. I was uh, flying to Vancouver and I was alone and I got my mediocre lasagna and I ate about half of it and kind of ate the cheese on the top and pushed it all around and I was just waiting for the steward to come along. And then the person beside me, who I hadn't, I didn't know, and I hadn't even talked to at all, turned to me and said, are you going to finish that? <laughs> so then I was like in my head going, well, no, I'm not going to finish this. But if I don't give it to this guy, I guess it's garbage. So mm-hmm. I was like, uh, no, I'm not going to finish that. And he said, well, can I have it? <laughs> I said, sure. And I gave him this very yucky looking half eaten lasagna and he finished it up but it was very uncomfortable and <laughs> I just always thought it was like the weirdest thing so yeah you know the the like another version <laughs> of that is sometimes I'll I'll buy something on board and you know, I've been talking to the person next to me on the plane, not 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 like in a super kind of like we're not friends yet, but uh, but at least we're chatting a little bit. And then I think, I mean, should I be offering them some of what I just bought? Because that's kind of the social thing to do. And yeah, so that's perplexing. So Jen, you've been thinking about this for a long time. Looking back at it, uh, did you do the right thing? Well, I feel like I did the right thing. I mean, I'm all about, you know, 
no food waste, I suppose, right? Yeah, yeah absolutely. hungry. <laughs> yeah. No, you know what? I, it sounds, sounds right to me. All right, Jen, thank you very much for calling. <laughs> All right. Thanks so much. Bye-bye. Uh, uh, so our two guests on the AMA, one is uh, a, an etiquette expert, Randall McDonald. Randall, what do you think of uh, of that interaction that Jen had? <laughs> well, that uh, I've never heard of that before on a plane. Um, I have to admit it would be weird being asked that, but I think she did absolutely the right thing. Um, I don't know if there'd be any reason to say no and then just to have it being done disposed of mm-hmm. and for your point um no you do not have to offer yourself um it's your person you you're you're welcome to indulge and enjoy yeah all right you know randall we're having a little bit of uh, trouble with your internet connection so i'll see if the control room can talk to you about uh, about seeing if maybe we can reconnect and and fix that up in the meantime i've got so many calls here our number is 1-888-416-8333 and we're curious about what you don't like uh on planes what sort of etiquette breaches you have questions about we have cat jones a, a longtime flight attendant and randall mcdonald an etiquette expert who are quite happy to weigh in or answer your questions uh, let's go to Alec Blair, who is in Vancouver. Hi, Alec. Hi. Yeah, how's it going? Good, good. What's your question? I just had a question. It's it's another sort of social social moray one, and it's about the uh, the shutters on, on windows. And I've noticed more and more on longer flights, uh, sort of with the dimmable windows, even if it's not nighttime, the crew dimming and, and darkening the windows so you can't see out. Obviously, mm-hmm. a rare chance to see the world from 30,000 feet. Sometimes I want to have a glimpse over Greenland or something if you're yeah. flying over the Atlantic. Yep. What's the uh, what's the etiquette there? I, I, I don't know. Is it wrong to take a peek outside? Yeah, that that is a fantastic question, Alec. And I've been in that. I've been in both the situation where I'm in the middle seat and somebody leaves their blind or curtain open and I can't see my screen. But I've also been at the window seat and I do want to see Greenland because it's beautiful yeah. from the I mean, air. You watch Succession at home, but yeah. you, know, you can't watch. <laughs> Sorry, no, you know. That's right. Exactly. Cat uh, Jones, what uh, what should Alec keep in mind about uh, about the window shade in a plane? Well, I think that one comes down to communicating with your fellow passenger and and just having that conversation and saying, "Hey, I was really excited to see Greenland from for thirty thousand <laughs> feet. Do you mind if I take a picture?" And if you're in the window and you want to open the 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 shade and the person next to you is watching a movie or something you just again it's just that common courtesy and and, and it's okay to talk to each other it's yeah 100% and, okay. yeah you see cat this is the really cool thing about the last two pieces of advice or guidance that you've given in, in terms of uh tilting the seat back and now sort of access to to the window with the shade up is talking to fellow passengers right it's just uh like and i gotta say lots of times i just sort of sit there stone-faced looking straight ahead uh but a little mm-hmm. bit of communication is not necessarily necessarily a bad thing. Let, let's go to our next caller now in uh, Winnipeg, Andrew Paskovich. Hi, Andrew. Hi, Ian. How are you? Good, good. Uh, lots of interesting comments on the program today. What would you like to talk about? Yeah, it's been great to listen to you. You know, I've had the, the pleasure and displeasure of traveling hundreds of flights. Uh, thankfully, I fly much less often than I used to for, for work. And the old, old joke is uh, traveling is, is fun for those that don't. So um, <laughs> a common occurrence <laughs> for me has been um, you know, flying internationally, you often have two, sometimes three connections, and you get delayed. 
And oftentimes the cabin and crew, um, even the pilot will say, hey, you know, we have uh, folks at the, at the back of the plane, throughout the plane that are trying to make their tight connection. And we ask that you stay seated mm. and allow those to come up and um, deplane first. Yep. I, have, I have missed a handful of connections, perhaps not entirely, entirely related to people not following these uh, perhaps recommendations. I would hope they'd be ordered. And so I'm wondering, you know, is this a common thing? Is it enforceable? Um, it's actually be, become a meme now. People will see uh, online, you know, uh, those that as soon as the, the wheels touch down and the seatbelt sign dings off, they immediately, you know, jump out of their seats only to wait standing around thinking, yep. hey, I sh- why, am I, why am I doing this? So anyway, my question to your, your guest is, is this something they've seen? I'm sure they have. This and, is uh, fantastic. How enforceable yeah. is it? Yeah, that, that is great, Andrew. Thank you so much for calling in. I'm going to go to both of you and I'll start with Kat. Um, so especially the, the specific scenario that Andrew mentions, which I've seen lots of times where the flight attendant will say, uh, especially on a late flight, we've got some people making some really tight connections here. So please sit down and let them go forward. I got to tell you what, what, what then often happens, in fact, almost always happens is, as Andrew says, the bell goes off Everybody stands up. Some people do go to the front, but then it's not clear whether all the people who need to deplane have deplaned, and then you kind of get into the aisle, and then then all of a sudden somebody's barreling through. So, Kat, how did you handle this when you were working at one of the major airlines? Well, in that situation, you're normally getting that uh, instruction from the operation itself. You can see who on your flight is connecting and how short their connections are. And often it it it, it, will, it will impact the operation of the entire system if those people miss their flights or the the plane doesn't leave on time, right? And mm-hmm. of course, we want to make sure everyone gets to their destination as close to scheduled as possible. And so, in that situation, normally that it, it, it kind of depends on the leadership of the crew and how good the crew is at kind of communicating that. Uh, before the bell goes off and and reiterating it sometimes two or three times and making sure that people stay in their seats until these people have left. And you just have to make it very, very clear. Sometimes if you just make one, you know, quick announcement, people aren't listening. People still have their headphones in. They're not always the most self-aware. So mm-hmm. um, sometimes you have to just repeat it. And I, I found that often repeating that uh, instruction two or three times during that taxi process before you get to the gate often would expedite that. I don't mm-hmm. know uh, how enforceable that is. I mean, we all do our best, but that that's kind of my experience. That is terrific guidance. In this case, I think that's really good guidance for flight crews who are listening because I have not seen people follow that. And it just seems to make so much sense to repeat that announcement and 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 repeat it yet again, right? And Because most people want to do the right thing because at the very least, even if we're selfish passengers, we've been in that situation or we can imagine ourselves in that situation and we'd want the same courtesy extended to us. Randall, let me broaden the question a little bit just in terms of anything you want to say about protocol or etiquette when it comes to deplaning? What, what would you like to, to weigh in on there? Sure thing. Uh, I guess the one thing I would say about that last comment or last question about the connecting flight is uh, I would also recommend maybe asking your flight crew if it's possible before the plane lands to move you up to a seat closer to the front of the plane. I have seen 
that happened before where a few passengers are moved up even into executive first just for the last few minutes of the flight so that they can get off. So I might uh, recommend people ask that sort of thing. Um, in regards to deplaning, uh, it is truly just like boarding. You know, you deplane, you deplane as per the rows. So don't be the guy in the 25th row <laughs> who grabs their car on and runs to the front of the plane. Yep. We all dislike that guy. Um, and it's, it's a zipper effect. So, you know, when uh, the row in front of you on both sides has gotten out, then, you know, through eye contact, you figure out whether ABC or DEF are going to get out first. Mm -hmm. Those three people go, then the next. And if, if you're orderly about it, um, it, it goes much faster and much smoother uh, for everyone. And just be just be organized and planned. Um, if I could maybe even broaden it about uh, getting onto the plane, be uh, thoughtful about your carry-on. So if your carry-on has to be all disassembled to get into the overhead <laughs> bin and under the seat, do that before you get onto the plane so that yeah. everybody's not standing there. Uh, I fly a lot and I have got this down to routine. I'm in my seat in 4.5 seconds. I got the carry-on up. I got the coat up. I got my bag down under because you just want to get out of that row. And if you can't do it quickly, please step into the row so that people can go past. Yeah. There's some really good advice that both of you are uh, handing out here and also many of our callers with great insights. We do have the CBC Listen app. People can hear this program uh, at uh, on demand, basically, either just the AMA or the entire show. And so if you are listening and thinking, you know, Uncle Fred needs to hear some of this advice, uh, please uh, <laughs> let Uncle Fred know that uh, he can listen on the CBC Listen app. Okay. We're at that time of the program where uh, time is tight. So let me see if I can get at least one, if not two more calls in. Alison Hamill is in Victoria, British Columbia. And Alison, you have a great point that you're raising. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm, I'm, I'm good as well. And uh, so what's your, uh, your comment or question? Sorry, my dogs are just No barking. problem. <laughs> Um, I have flown my whole life as uh, an airline employee's daughter, um, and my only thing is I really hate when the people sit right on the aisles and go straight to sleep. <laughs> <laughs> like, I just, if you're going to fall asleep, warn me. I'll switch seats. I don't care. <laughs> I just need to pee multiple times throughout the flight. Yeah. Okay. So I, I have a response to that, but let's go to the experts. Cat, uh, uh, well, just respond to Allison, Cat. I mean, I'm going to sound like a broken record here, but again, I just, I'm such an advocate for making friends with the people that you're going to be spending that, that time with, especially in such close quarters. And if, in in that situation, Allison, I, I would probably warn the person that I am uh, in in the window of and just say, hey, you know, I'm going to use the washroom a lot. So if you fall asleep, I'm going to have to wake you up. I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> kind and, of just give them the heads up. <laughs> yeah. And I do the flip side, actually, is if, first of all, I, I don't really sleep on planes, but but I always do say to if I'm on the aisle seat, which is where I try to be, I say, listen, if I'm asleep and you guys need to, you know, go past, tap me on the shoulder just so they don't feel any discomfort or anything. And they can they can do that. OK, I'm going to get one more call here and then go to each of you one last time. And Sean Callahan is in Bellevue, Newfoundland and Labrador. Hi, Sean. Hey there, Ian. Uh, thanks for calling. Yeah, go oh, ahead. Oh, you're welcome. Thanks for the opportunity. My very serious question is, 
uh, why are people permitted to bring pets on planes when they're not service animals? When you bring pets in the planes, there are so many people with serious pet allergies, and you get to 35,000 feet, and there's no way on the plane to, to help that person, even if they have an EpiPen, they can get into serious trouble. Uh, and uh, these pets are allowed then to be taken out of the pet carriers, and they smooth them down, and they want you to love them as much as they do. But if I have a severe <laughs> allergy... I, I, I literally want to, want to put my four paws on the ceiling and get away from them. So. <laughs> That's a great cartoon image of trying to get four paws on the ceiling. Thank you. Ah. <laughs> Thank you very much, Sean. We're going to let, let me go back to our uh, our two experts here. And I'm not going to ask you uh, to comment on airline policy, but maybe just whatever you want to say about uh, uh, etiquette and uh, pets on board. And uh, each of you have about 30 seconds. Kat, first uh, to you. Well, first of all, I know for sure pets aren't allowed out of their kennels at all. So mm-hmm. that's a no-no. But um, I would, I, I, I'm in agreement. And I, I feel like, again, that just is, if you have the allergy, alert the airline staff and it will be manifested and then they will try and accommodate accordingly. That's all right. And Randall, pets on board? Uh, completely Completely agree. I, I love pets, uh, but they should not be out of their kennels. And definitely it's about communicating as well. Uh, and if you don't alert the, the airline prior to boarding, make sure that if you see a pet coming on board, you alert them to see if they can maybe uh, change seats for you. All right. Last comment to each of you and 30 seconds each. And uh, Randall, let me start with you. Okay, so here's my big pet peeve. Stop taking so much carry-on on board. Carry-on <laughs> is supposed to be for that emergent item. Pay the 25 or $50, check your luggage so that people can bring on what they're supposed to bring on and the boarding process will go much smoother. Kat, last 30 seconds to you. From a crew perspective, please take out your earbuds when you're ordering your drinks. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Oh, this has uh, been fantastic. You guys uh, are very thoughtful about your advice. And I really do think that people who have been listening will be better passengers for what you've said. And I really do think that people should pass on the uh, links to this show to uh, the unruly, or not unruly, but just the, the less than perfect passengers that they may know. Kat Jones and Randall McDonald, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. That's it for Checkup, the podcast this week. You've been listening to Cross Country Checkup's live broadcast on CBC Radio from December 17th, 2023. If you'd like to share comments or appear on a future show, go to cbc.ca slash aircheck. Thanks to everyone who helped this week. Our phone screeners are Celine Aaron, Catriana DeSante, and Kiata Greco. Our TV team, Caleb Isaac, Frankie Fiorini, Brendan Sylvia, Ali Al-Rohani, and Richard Grundy. Technical production and editing from Will Yar and Matthias Wilson. Our program assistant is Chuck Mulgat. Cross Country Checkup was produced this week by Abby Plenner and Steve Howard. Our digital producer is Sinisha Yolich. And the senior producer of the program is Richard Goddard. I'm Ian Hanneman singing in Vancouver. The next edition of Checkup, the podcast, will be posted after the live show next Sunday. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.